Hey guys, hey ladies, hey friends, hey foes. We just wanted to take a second to remind you that while we're okay swearing when little ears are listening, you might not be, and that's okay. So here's your chance to pause us and wait for nap time, or pop in your earbuds. We hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back to another episode of Done Playing by the Rules. I'm Jenna. And I'm Janelle. And we've got a good one for you today, but it's surprise, surprise. I did no research on this topic. It's all Janelle. So I, I was just thinking questions. that today. I was like, I like Jenna's questions, but I think she's due up for a couple of reasons. But I like researching so much that I like editing so much and I like researching so much that I end up doing like extra stuff all the time because it's so fun yeah. for me. I don't know. We finished – School and we did some traveling and I thought I would have all this free time and I'm just like, I don't Less. know where my time. I think it's just all the projects that accumulated and then uh-huh. the weather here, I saw not there, <laughs> has been so nice that we've just I been outside, you. right? We were Somebody outside today. Else, it was nice today. We've had two what, nice days this week. What is so nice far. for y'all? Like I think it's, let's see, uh, it's 66, baby. What? Okay, that but is like, really nice. kind of windy. I was still wearing a leather jacket because I get cold. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm the kind of mom that like, I like doing stuff with my kids. I know not everyone does, but like, Blech. I want to like do things with them. And so I just get distracted and yeah. no, I was talking to one of our mutual friends today and I was like, I'd like you to know how over doing stuff with my kids I am because like Zach passed his first, uh, second grade math exam today with a hundred percent and finished first grade language arts nice. with a hundred percent. And I was like, I was crying watching him because I was like, this is like the end. Like, yeah. because I was texting with our mutual friend and I was like, I'm so over this that we have hired a part-time summer nanny and she is a elementary education uh, major in school and she's taking over homeschool. Like done. I'm so done. I signed up for a gym. I cannot, I can't do it anymore. So Jenna is now <laughs> the holy mother of all things children and I have resigned. When I say I enjoy doing stuff with my kids, it's like activities. I don't enjoy mm. playing Godzilla or no. hunting dinosaurs or doing Would you like, like Zach that. to wake you up at 520 and ask if you'd like to hear stories about Minecraft? Oh, we're Titanic over here. My kids have been okay. running around with life jackets on all day pretending like they're on Titanic. <sighs> I'd and Peyton woke me up with a jar of worms. We did forest school yesterday, or Barefoot University, and they made like germ, not germ, worm habitats. And <gasps> then, they brought Jenna home a germ habitat, her favorite. <laughs> and these are now her best friends, and Aww. we had to find more worms, and she's been carrying them around. I don't know. I need to ask her, but I, I woke up to like tell me her names. a jar in my face. And of course, you put like older food in there too. So it's not the most appealing thing. Speaking of our children and our love for them, we're, our topic today is going to be attachment styles. This is something that I've always found very interesting and the research is ever changing, but I came across a really good article. Again, thank you, the Goop website. It was from a book called The Power of Showing Up and the Q&A was with the author Tina Payne Bryson and I will link the article obviously. I used a few other articles that I'll link but hers was really helpful with questions and answers and even goes up to teenagers where obviously we're going to focus a little bit more on little kids because that's our season, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. But if you have more, you want to know about teenagers, I'll get to that at the end. I'll touch on it, but there's information for every age of child. So what exactly do you mean by attachment styles? Well, funny you should ask. I have no no idea. What do you – no, I'm just kidding. What if I just showed up and was like, JK, I didn't do any research. There are four attachment styles for children. Secure attachment, which I think – let's just guess which one you want. Okay, so we have secure attachment, avoidant slash dismissive attachment, Anxious slash ambivalent attachment and disorganized attachment. Secure attachment is obviously the ideal and the least ideal one is disorganized attachment because as I will talk about further, this is the most difficult to grow up in, which is kind of surprising because 
as you hear more and more about how they develop, you assume like one of the other styles is more yeah, difficult. Yeah, like avoidant but, or something. Uh-huh. Like when you think. hear the name avoidant, that's dismissive attachment. You're like, oh, but the actual right. results of growing up in disorganized attachment is slightly trickier and slightly more long-term damaging as you grow into an mm-hmm. adult and form adult relationships. So let's just assume we're all striving for secure attachments, which I will go into some detail and then I will let my um, interviewer, this should just be Janelle's sessions of knowledge while Jenna asks questions. Well, I'm going to try and ask, I guess, I don't want to say like obvious questions, but questions that I would think because I do have some background because we did study this in early childhood education because it is a big thing to look for in in your students. Yeah. Yes. But if you have questions after this airs, Feel free to reach out to us. There's no dumb question. We are no experts, as you know. This whole topic came to fruition, again, because of my amazing therapist, who I'm still mad is not my Instagram friend, so she couldn't see my hilarious meme I posted about how it's my goal to make sure that my therapist thinks I'm funny. Exactly. But I was talking to my therapist. I said, when my husband walks down the stairs, I can tell what kind of mood he is in based on the rhythm of his footsteps. And she was like, and I was like, because I'm such an empath. And she said, actually, that's a childhood disorder from growing up in a frantic household because you had a caregiver that mood determined the entire house and you didn't know what this parent's mood was going to be from day to day. And so you literally could hear them like they were walking on eggshells and you could tell Mm-hmm. And there was substance abuse involved, which is very obvious through footsteps. I'm very sensitive to how people walk and how their energy is when they come in a room. And that is actually a result of disruptions in my attachment in childhood. A lot of these articles go on to talk about how it's most important in the first year. Would Tell me if you learned this as well. All they talked about in this was the attachment in the first year. And then it was the attachment in the first 24 months. Oh, interesting. I don't think I... That's what we learned. It was all first year and first 24 months. And now they're starting to expand it into like first Mm -hmm. and second grade. But I didn't have really any troublesome stuff going on at home until I was in like probably third, fourth, fifth grade. I think a lot of people assume that when you discuss your childhood, it's consistent throughout. Yes. You experienced a dramatic shift later on. Uh And I think that's where a lot of that kind of comes in about the first year. Yeah. But for your case, that first year was nothing like Mm -hmm. year, what would that be? I don't know how old you were. But who even knows? I don't know. Nobody knows what my first year was. My mom was a stay-at-home mom and she had, uh, when my brother was born 13 months after me, there was basically like a full-time like nanny housekeeper. Mm -hmm. I don't know what attachment was built in that first year. Right. But yes, I had an idyllic childhood until Mm -hmm. there was a dramatic shift in mental health and substance abuse in my household. Right. And so your childhood can have just like your adulthood can have a happy time and a bad time. Mm -hmm. And those things will all shape how you pursue relationships and proceed in relationships as an adult. Mm-hmm. Right. And I've heard of a few cases or instances where a child has a wonderful phase of their life. So such as you hear about people being like, oh, I'm such a baby person. Yeah. And this parent is just like doting, doting, doting. And then once they hit teenage years or mm-hmm. puberty or something, it completely changes And so there is a test that Janelle told me to take. Mm -hmm. And on there, it says, I think, age 18 and younger. Yeah, I think it's they're encompassing the whole childhood more so now than, yeah. Because that's something too. And I don't know, in my opinion, it's super sad when that happens because it's almost just like, what did I do wrong? What happened Mm -hmm. to me? And it's just some parents distance once their kids hit certain ages and it's a common thing that happens with daughter and father Mm -hmm. relationships fathers sometimes have a tough time when daughters hit like that awkward puberty stage my dad like leaned in and was like extra cool and extra available and extra on top of things yeah. Where the majority of my girlfriend's dads were like, gross, get away. And my mom was always my mom was yeah. really good about being like, talk to your dad about anything. Like if you mm-hmm. need tampons, tell your dad he will go. And that's how Josh is too. Like 
they're very comfortable with girl stuff and like nothing phases them where there's a lot of dads that are like, my job here is done. Like I got to go. She's interested in boys. And that's a tricky one. Okay. But let's talk about, (laughs) so that, that test that Jenna's talking about is called the ACE test. And that was actually what my therapist recommended that I take. And it stands for adverse childhood experiences. It's a series of 10 questions. I made Jenna take it, but we'll touch back on it at the very end. Secure attachment is what we're going to start with, which is obviously the ideal point that you would like to get to. The three biggest points of a secure attachment. Caregiver is repeatedly and consistently showing up. And those are the two big points. It has to be repeated and it has to be consistent. Inconsistent showing up, you'll see lower down, can be very damaging. If a baby Mm -hmm. is crying, is their example, If a baby is crying or – and then when they talk about it a little bit more in the teenage in this article, if you sometimes are there when your teenager is in trouble and sometimes are emotionally unavailable and just lock them out, that can also be the same issue. So caregiver repeatedly and consistently shows up. Your major physical and emotional needs are met. Parents are mostly predictable and show up when you're having a hard time or needed them the most. And the final one is caregivers respond inconsistency or reject or ignore infant needs will tend to more frequently produce anxious, fearful children who cry more and explore less. As adults, securely attached children tend to, but not always obviously, have a higher self-esteem, enjoy more intimate relationships, seek out social support, and possess the ability to share their feelings with all others, and they are also more frequently empathetic. Mm -hmm. So... Secure attachment is everyone's goal, but there's a series of things that happen in homes that can result in that not being ever a chance for a child. Yeah. And I think secure attachment sometimes gets confused and people kind of mix it up. One, it does not mean that your child is stuck to you, glued to you 24-7. Two, it does not mean that you were a bad parent if you let your child cry every now and then, yes. especially if you're one that does sleep training, because if you're doing sleep training, your child is at an age where they have the coping skills and now you're just having them enforce them. It also doesn't mean that you do everything for your child. Mm-hmm. It means that you have provided them with the tools to do certain things and then you kind of provide support as they achieve their goals, you're not going to just be like, oh, go get on a bike and yeah. or throw them in a pool and they don't know how to swim and just be like, swim. No, you're going to like teach them slowly, but you're not going to sit there and do everything for them. Mm-hmm. Like your child can have a secure attachment style, but still be very independent and you can still push your child to the limit that you know that they're capable of. It got a Stumbled weird up. rap in the like early 2010s, I want to say, or mid 2010s when it was like secure attachment means that your kid is nursing, breastfeeding when they're seven and you're baby wearing and you're you're never out of their sight. And like this attachment theory got a weird rap to mm-hmm. it then when this has been around since like way before all of that hype. Right. And I agree with what you're saying in terms of like the secureness of it is more so like you're there to catch them when they fall, but you're not there to catch them when they trip is kind of how I think about it as they get older. And I have my own views on sleep training from someone that co-slept with their babies as long as their babies would let them. But sleep training a six-week-old is something that people do, and that Mm -hmm. is not necessarily going to get you your secure attachment outcome. As my kids got older and started napping in their cribs, they had a 10-minute timer where if they were reasonably fussing in their crib for more than 10 minutes, I would go in and get them. Mm -hmm. If they were screaming bloody murder and couldn't breathe, I would get them before it. I never was like, suck it up. I hope you don't hyperventilate. But I understand that sleep training is a necessity for some people. It's more so just make sure that that it is age appropriate. If it works for you, I love it. It's just pay attention to if they are if they have that scaffolding there, like Jenna said. Like, do they have a secure attachment to know that a caregiver will come if they're screaming bloody right. murder? Do what you got to do, mom, dad, whoever. But when we say like letting your kid cry, it means basically like. They cry all the time. They never know if somebody's going to come get them. And chances are nobody comes to get them. That's a completely different. That's like the old school, like, and not to be, this is an 
a factual thing we learned about in child child psychology, Mm -hmm. like the Russian orphanage. Like no one comes for years. You cry. Our next, uh, so we have a secure attachment, which is obviously the ideal. We have two less desirables and then like the mega bummer. So there's four of them. So this next one is avoidant dismissive attachment, also known as insecure attachment. It has like four names, but the main name is avoidant attachment. But some people call it dismissive. Some people call it insecure. Parent avoids a lot of emotional connection. It is also described as an emotional desert. Go cry in your room. I don't want to hear about it are frequently heard within the home. Studies show that even by 12 months, infants know whether it is safe to go to a primary caregiver with their emotions. Children with avoidant attachment know not to seek out a caregiver to be soothed. Parents attempt to keep the relationship surface level and avoid deeper connections or emotional vulnerability. These children as adults, these individuals have difficulty with intimacy and close relationships. They may avoid intimacy by using long work hours as an excuse. They may be more likely to engage in casual sex, fail to support partners in stressful times, and possess little ability to share intimate thoughts and feelings with a partner which yeah. all makes sense if you mm-hmm. track it through because they don't know, they don't see somebody as like a pillar of safety and so they're not right. going to seek out a partner that's a pillar of safety for them and yeah. divulge their secrets to them yeah and we did see that attachment style a lot in schools i kind of described it as those parents that just their kids seemed like a burden to them yeah. It was just like anytime their kid would ask them, it's like, oh my gosh, I've uh, already told yeah. you. Oh, why do you always – and like there was always a negative comment said with it about the child. Yeah. Like why do you always need something? Why are you so needy? Why are you so whiny? It was so interesting to me. I felt like those type of children, at first it was really hard to bond with them. Yeah. But then once I did, it was almost like they became extra attached to me and not in a bad yeah. way, but it took a while for them to warm up. And then once yeah. they're like, okay, this is safe. It was, yeah. And it was interesting. Those were my kids also that like didn't like to ever leave school and yeah, they yeah. were so happy when they were at school, but then it always broke my heart. Cause then when the parents talked about them, they're just like so negative about mm-hmm. the child and anxious, ambivalent attachment. This child feels anxious about whether or not the caregiver is quote-unquote there for them or whether the caregiver is reliable or predictable. Likewise, anxious attachment manifests in children who are extremely distressed when separated by a parent but are Mm. also not soothed when the parent or caregiver returns. And we've all seen those kids, and I'm sure you saw this at school drop-off, the kid that doesn't want to let go of their parents And then when their parent comes to pick them up is like, I don't give a shit. I used to see it at a gym I went to like in Minnesota a long time ago where the kid would be hysterical, not let go of the parent. And then I'd go to the workout class with the parent and then the parent would show up and the kid would be like, I don't want to (laughs) leave, like running from them and hiding. And this isn't all cases. Kids go through weird fucking phases. All of our kids have done something weird once in a while. But like the ideal situation is your kid is comfortable walking away from you with You know, there's that nine-month weird phase where they don't want to go to anyone. But like after that, your kid is moderately comfortable walking away from you and excited to see you come back is what you're striving for. A caregiver of an anxious attachment child will sometimes see and respond to the child's needs and sometimes will not. This undependable response leaves the child uncertain of when and if their needs will be met. Often these parents are busy tending to their own needs or preoccupied with adult situations, whether that be job insecurity or romantic partners. These children often grow up to be clingy, anxious, uncertain, or lacking in self-esteem. The key difference in anxious attachment, which is what we're talking about right now, and avoidant attachment, which is what we just talked about, is that avoidant attachment, the child knows the caregiver won't show up. In Mm -hmm. this attachment, they're uncertain if the Mm -hmm. caregiver will show up, which is why you get both sides of the spectrum. They don't Mm want to let go of the caregiver, but they don't really care when they come back. Anxious attachment, which we're talking about right now, the parent may or may not show up and they also may or may not make repairs. So that's saying, say you lose your shit on your kids. 
mm-hmm. you're going to make the repairs to it right. where these parents don't make the repair. It's just yeah. like it happened, take it or leave it. Or But then like, they're super nice ha- to you yeah. later. Yeah. Yes. They just ignore the situation that happened and then just carry on about the normal routine mm-hmm. the next day. And then our – do you have any questions about this one? No. I just would like – I guess I would describe that one as like the hot and cold. Like you just never know what yeah. you're going to get. And I mm-hmm. think that's the one – that we are talking about that sometimes a child goes through in different phases of their life. The parent was so attentive during infancy and then in toddlerhood, they're completely off. And you know, it's just that hot and cold. It doesn't have to be day to day or moment to moment. Mm -hmm. It could be a period in your life where they were one way and now they're the other way. Is there, did they say what they are as adults? Did you read that? That was often grew up to be clingy, anxious, uncertain, or lacking in self-esteem. Okay. This ACE test that we're going to talk about in a little bit, these children often will have drug abuse or um, substance abuse in the home. And so you don't know which caregiver you're going to get from day to day. That's what Are I you was gonna wondering. Get, yeah, even so mental illness. Uh-huh. And that's all on the ACE test or jail or legal problems. They're preoccupied yeah. with something going on in their adult life, which makes them less receptive to what's going on in your child life. I'm listening to a podcast right now. I think it's called Hooked. And it's about a guy that gets addicted to Oxy and then heroin and then robs 30 banks in a year. <laughs> and Is it true? It's true. I'll send it to you. It's so good. Yeah. I'm, on, I'm only on episode two. But he robbed 30 banks in a year for heroin and his kids are on there talking about their idyllic childhood until their dad fell down and got an owie. Then he became a heroin addict and now he's mm-hmm. back to normal. And so like Jenna said, these things can ebb and flow throughout substance abuse in right. five or 10 year increments as well. Yeah. It's, a, really it's a good it's a good podcast though. Disorganized attachment, which is the want, want, one we don't want. This is the most difficult to grow up in. As mammals, we are hardwired to seek out primary caregivers when we feel distressed. Now imagine your caregiver is not simply disinterested in you, but is your source of terror or fear. You would likely come to believe that intimate relationships are dangerous. The term disorganized stems from the fact that all mammals are drawn to their caregivers for safety, but when that caregiver is actually a danger, your brain is hardwired to tell you to get away from danger so your mental processes can become very chaotic or disorganized. This type of childhood attachment is one of the best predictors of adult mental illness. Wow. I know. I can think of examples, not from my own life, but not examples that I should share. But assume that maybe you're five years old and your dad might come home and beat up your mom and maybe beat you up. That Mm -hmm. person is supposed to be your caregiver and your mom can't get out or your mom is – your dad's gone and your mom is the aggressor. And every time you come to your mom and say, mom, I need $5 for a lunch trip, she hits you. Mm-hmm. Or first, for your, or you don't do anything and it happens yes, to you. Exactly, your parent has a bad day and they hit you or kick you, or you're living with a foster parent and somebody's abusing you in the house that mm-hmm. you think is a safe person. I assume this probably comes into play with like other abuse situations. Yeah. Like it says, if you think about it in terms of mammals are drawn to their mother for milk. Just Mm -hmm. think of it in that term, like they are drawn to the warm bosom of their mother for safety and for food and nourishment. And if that same mom is going to punch you occasionally Mm -hmm. or all the time, then your brain is not going to be able to process correctly because it is fully wired to believe that it is its job to be with the caregiver for safety, but the Mm -hmm. caregiver is not safe and is actually a danger. And then your brain can't. It can't rewrite, rewrite the code that was put in your DNA to fi- seek out that caregiver. Okay. This was a lot of information really fast. Let's pretend we don't care about anything but developing a secure attachment, mm-hmm. which would I would, I, I would assume. How do we navigate this information and make our kids feel as secure as possible? Luckily, Tina Payne Bryson has a sweet, succinct answer. It is called the four S's. And the four S's are safe seen, soothed, and secure. And I'm going to touch on each of them, but just know that the fourth S, which is secure, is a culmination of the first three S's. So it's kind of like a math problem. Safe plus 
seen plus soothed equals secure. So as I read through it, just think about it like that. So the first one is safe. This one's pretty easy. Does the child feel protected from harm and is the caregiver a source of comfort rather than fear? This means to note feeling safe is also a result of yelling and screaming within the home or parents who often fight. So that goes under the safe category. So if there's continuous yelling and screaming in the home or parents who often fight in front of the children, this would be a trigger to not feeling safe, which we don't really think about as part of feeling safe. I think of safety as like you have a car seat, you have a this, you have a that. This does not mean we're all perfect, but if we mess up, we make it right. We sit down and apologize for our wrongs and also explain fights with our partner that a child may be accidentally privy to, which we've all done, Mm -hmm. especially during the pandemic. No child made it through the pandemic without seeing a parent fight. And if you did, you should write a book. Examples in the article are, wow, I just lost control of my emotions there for a minute and that probably felt really scary for you. I am so sorry and I shouldn't talk to you like that and no one should and I'm very sorry. Mm -hmm. I'm very good at this. I will do it with Zach all the time. Like I should have never spoken to you like that. No one should speak to you like that. Even if my husband is like getting mouthy, I'll be like, first of all, dad shouldn't speak to you like that. And no one should speak to you like that. Mm -hmm. And you can ask for an apology if anyone thinks they should speak to you like that. Yeah. And I was just listening to an ADHD podcast and they said parents who have children with any kind of disability or disorder struggle with controlling their emotions, which I Mm -hmm. definitely do with that child. And they (laughs) were saying that it doesn't mean it's okay, but it is normal. But the biggest thing is to repair afterwards and Mm -hmm. to always address that. This is very important, especially in secure versus, I believe it's anxious. I think don't don't ask to make me. sure that you do that it <laughs> to make sure that you do it consistently. It's not like you're yes. going to apologize when you think of it or when you feel like you need to. Yeah, it needs to happen often. And my husband and I, we do disagree in front of the children because the children because the children I, <laughs> are the reasons for the disagreements. <laughs> because I grew up in a household where my parents didn't argue, and so mm-hmm. one, we didn't know what bad moods were four. So sometimes we would think it was us. And that's never a good feeling as a kid. And two, the first time I saw adults fight, I was like, what is this? And I broke down and I didn't know how to handle it. And I thought it meant that those parents were never going to speak to each other again. As well as three, when my parents did get divorced, I was like, wait, what? But y'all never fight. So there was a lot behind closed doors. Yeah. Or like thinking like, oh, a marriage can just implode for no reason mm-hmm. if they never fight. It can, like, yes. what, what, exactly. And that was like mind blowing to my brother and I because we're like, but you guys have a great relationship from what we see. But we also make sure that while we do disagree in front of the kids when it's appropriate, yeah. we make up in front of the kids. And so yes. they see that there's a resolution. And then we always talk to them as well. Like, and I tell them why I was upset or why my husband was upset. And then we make sure that they feel okay. And if they have any questions, we answer it. Because a lot of times our disagreements are outside of their realm. Yeah. I explain it to them as best as they can understand. And then I ask them how they feel after, because I think that's important to check in with your kid. I completely agree. And the other thing that I will uh, echo here is my husband and I work on this a lot, but my husband's go-to move is I'll be like, your dad shouldn't talk to you like that, dad. You shouldn't be talking to him like that. And Josh Josh throws in a butt. And so he'll be like, "Yes, you. I shouldn't talk to you like that, but I'm sick of you hitting your brother. Mm -hmm. And I'll be like, no, 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 no. You shouldn't talk to him like that, period. And I'll be like, later on, you can discuss hitting his brother. But you losing his shit over him hitting his brother and like, stomping around is a separate situation from he shouldn't Mm -hmm. be hitting his brother. You cannot equate your emotional outburst to their behavior because that implies to them that it is their fault and they are responsible Mm -hmm. for your emotional overreaction. And I say to Zach all the time, I think I've even said it to him today, no one can control your emotions but you. Mm -hmm. And so I say to him, like, if dad's upset, Dad is not controlling his emotions correctly, and that's on dad. That has nothing to do with you. Yeah. And 
with secure attachment, it does not mean that you have to practice peaceful parenting. As you can hear, yeah. we're not perfect, but uh-huh. the repair and the consistent- My repair game is strong. Yes. And consistently <laughs> repairing is key. And immediate. Yes. Like as soon as I walk away and I'm like, oh shit, that was really right? lame. Like I'll go find Zach and be like, shouldn't attack. I'll sit on the floor and be like, I should attack you. Or our new favorite thing to do is we do knee triangle and all three of us sit down, me, Zach, and Mike, and we all touch knees and sit in Aww. a circle. And I say like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have talked to you like that. No one should ever talk to you like that. I'm really frustrated because X, Y, and Z, but I should never take that out on you. Like, please right. forgive me. We're still best friends. Yes. Okay. So we covered safe. Our second one is seen. And this is a big one that I think we're pretty good at too. So pat ourselves on both shoulders. Look at what is behind your child's behavior. And you probably are even better at this than I am because you have a neurodivergent possible mm-hmm. child. You are always looking around the corner to figure out what is causing a behavior. Yeah. Parents of ADHD or ADD children or any neurodivergent are trying to figure out what weird random stressor. I am an adult with ADHD and all of my stressors are not related to whatever I'm saying they are. Right. Being seen is looking behind the child's behavior, meaning playtime is over, get in the car versus I see you're having a really good time with your friends and don't want to leave. Is that right? Can we make a plan to see them again? What is a time you think it would be fun for us to all play again and where would we go? Lots and lots of is that right? This helps make connections for the child between vocabulary, feelings, and caregiver. So asking is that right while you're guessing what's upsetting your child builds three things at once. So three words, is that right? builds vocabulary connections, feelings, and connection to their caregiver, mm-hmm. which I thought was like rad. If we can just start throwing more is that right in and getting all that like mega benefit out yeah. of it, that's amazing. And I think you also need to touch that a lot of time your kid will not know the answer, mm-hmm. especially if it's an outside factor that they don't consider important, such 1, as sleep and diet or, you know how sometimes your kid will hang out with a kid who's not the best influence and then they pick <laughs> up those behaviors uh-huh. and they don't see that. And so- no, they don't make that at all. We need to sometimes give them the tools to see that as well as expressing emotions. My kids still get confused and frustrated. My daughter gets those confused confused. She'll be like, I'm super confused. And I'm like, I think we mean frustrated. And then we'll describe the feeling. And then I'll be like, you know, I need to add, is that right? Right? Is that right? Yeah. Um, Is that right? To the end of it. What I'm thinking is, is that right? Yeah. And my kids come up to me with the most random stuff too. Like they'll just start crying and be like, I miss Bumpa. Or they'll start crying and I'll be like, where did that come from? And it'll be something so off the wall, but they are building that connection that like – and they're not probably even always right all the time. Mm -hmm. And my kids are going through the most horrible phase, which I don't know if your kids are going through this. They don't want to fucking leave anywhere. Mm -hmm. We've been through that. We are brand new and my kids will not leave places. I literally have to like drag them out by the hoods of their coats Mm because we're still wearing coats. What am I going to do this summer? I don't know. I try to talk to them about that after we get in the car. Like, I Mm -hmm. know you didn't want to leave. I know you want to spend more time with your friends. But unfortunately, we've been running around all day. And I just think it's very valuable that you get a good night's sleep tonight. I know that isn't always a priority, but tonight it's very important. And we had to do it last night. I think the whole point of this one is like validating their feelings. It Uh doesn't mean you necessarily say that their feelings and the way – or not their feelings. The way they're acting is correct. Yeah. I think that you need to explain that to your child as well. My daughter is in a very whiny stage right now. I think (sighs) she went through it a little bit. And I think Ezra especially was giving into her when she was whining. And so now it's a lot more. And so we tell her it's if there's nothing wrong, right? Like, of course, if she's like hurt and she's whining or she's really upset. We're going to go into that. But like she was whining because I wouldn't get up and go into the house from the back of the yard to help her get her worm jar. And so to me, I'm like, I understand. And so I told her, I said, I understand why you're frustrated with me. And then we problem solved it. So I wanted her to know that she was seen, but it doesn't mean I'm also going to just like get up and do whatever this child asks. Get my worm jar, bitch. Right? So it's like, (laughs) you're seen, 
and I hear you. But let's work it out together how exactly. you can do this. You also have two other humans at the house and your feet work last night. There's checked. humans so. everywhere, feet. Like you yes. got this, honey. Funny that you bring this up because that's my next point in scene, which we're still on the second. So we're still on uh, – we did say for on scene – Quit being a baby and quit being so sensitive. When Which you we've talked say, about in our boy episode, yep, if you listened. Yep. When you say this to a child, here is how the brain process works. So I like for everyone to just like, if you're driving, don't do it right now, but close your eyes and think. When a child hears, quit being so sensitive or quit being a baby, their brain goes, I am feeling a big feeling, but they're telling me it's not a big deal. Maybe mm-hmm. I am being too sensitive or a baby which will cause the child to disassociate from their feelings. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's more prevalent in young boys, like for Mm -hmm. adults to do it to young boys. I'm not perfect. I have said to my child before, like, seriously, stop crying. Like, yes, I'm not, I'm not perfect. No. But then I stepped back and said, that wasn't the right reaction. And I've explained, especially my son has done this where he learned, especially around like grandparents, that if he does cry about something, it gets more reaction. And so he's doing it for attention. And so then I have to say, I'll call him out on it. I'm not going to lie. I'll say, yeah. I hear you crying, but I think what you want right now is someone to either listen to you or play with you or whatever. Let's rewind. And we're going to try that again. Let's say it in a way that uses our words instead of just whining and crying. Well, yeah, my go-to move, that. which I don't know if it's correct or not, and you can wait, you can be Judge Jenna. Dun, dun. I'll try. I'm going to add in a sound effect. The boys, there's a lot of boys in my neighborhood, and they we call it Baby Fight Club because they all just like do WrestleMania all the time. And I'll say to my kids, like when we're going somewhere, I'm like, if you're going to do wrestling, no, you could get hurt. Mm-hmm. And then they inevitably come down crying because so-and-so bent my finger or so. And I'll say, we talked about this before we came. If you yeah. wanted to participate in Fight Club, then you know that you could get hurt. Right. And so I feel like that's teetering on the edge of quit being so sensitive or quit being a baby. But also, No, like, I do it all the time. I think parents overregulate wrestling and it gets mm-hmm. really exhausting. Like I don't want to be up there like the WWE guy like slapping the mat. Yeah. Like if boys are right. going to consent to wrestling, they're going to wrestle and Zach's got the wind knocked out of him. Like mm-hmm. Mikey got a bloody nose. It happens. But if you're right. choosing to participate in Baby Fight Club, I don't want to hear about it. Baby fight. But I think one, you're setting them up with the expectation. You're saying you want to do this behavior, but here is the risk associated and Mm -hmm. here could be the outcome. And two, I think if your child came to you truly hurt, you wouldn't just be like, I told you so. No, yeah, no. If somebody's, (laughs) yeah, Mikey's bloody nose is taken care of, the wind knocked out of you is taken care of. And they also know if you decide that you don't want to do Fight Club anymore, you come and tell me or you can tell your friends. Okay. And Like they have an out, they will be taken care of if they are actually injured, but I'm also not going to listen to your tattling of like, so-and-so hit me when I wasn't looking. Like that's not – like because they all play Mm -hmm. like a pillow fight and I'm not going to sit upstairs and monitor pillow fight. No. Mm -mm. I agree. (laughs) I think you're doing – We'll see when he grows up. (laughs) That's how we decide the experiment. All right. So the third one of the equation. So we have safe plus seen plus soothed. Oh, wait. Did I just answer my own question? We'll find out. How can I help and what do you need from me right now? So Mm -hmm. if you can ingrain any two sentences, well, we already said, am am I right? Adding that Mm -hmm. into trying to build a vocabulary of feelings. But how can I help and what do you need from me right now? What if our husbands could even just learn those two sentences? Brandon, are you listening? Oh, I'm getting kind of <laughs> turned on right now. I might need to take a break and come back. Just thinking about Josh being like, what do you need? How can I? But he actually has gotten better at that. But your child is falling apart. Do mm-hmm. you walk away or do you sit with them in the mess and help them get back to a more regulated place? And, and that's kind of what we started the- doing triangle circle. Right. And if you're at the mindset where it's too much for you to handle, please walk away. That is not yeah. going to ruin walk your away child's- is, Walk away is a real option. Yes. That is not <laughs> going to ruin your child's attachment style at no. all. What yes. will ruin it is you doing something that you later regret and then not mending that relationship. Yes. 
So yes. it's okay to walk away because we've been in those mm-hmm. moments where our children do act like they need us because they are melting down and they are having the worst day, but it is also seven o'clock at night and you have dealt with this all day mm-hmm. and we need to walk away sometimes too. So that's okay. That is an agree. option. You can say mommy needs a timeout to think about this. Daddy yeah, don't just like disappear. Yeah, don't just be like, just good be like day. I need a minute. Yeah. Yeah, I need a minute and then come back and uh, reevaluate and let them know. Like I needed a minute because I was feeling out of control and I wanted to arrange my thoughts so that I would mm-hmm. be able to help you. So when kids are at their worst, they're terrified or they're having a tantrum. Will you show up and say, I am here with you and I will help you? When we show up this way, the brain gets practice going from chaos to regulated. When done repeatedly, the brain gets lots of healthy emotional practice at safe and supported emotional regulation. So you're building those neural pathways of, okay, somebody's going to show up for me. Somebody's going to be there again. Not expected 100 times out of 100. But for the majority of your time, a parent is going to show up and or a caregiver is going to show up be there with you and sit in your ugly moments because I thought it was really interesting to read. When a child is at their worst, they're terrified. And mm-hmm. that is something that we don't think of. We think it's a t- an attack on us and that's not the case, but that is what our like weird reptile brains think. Like, yes. you're doing this to me. Your behavior is directed at me when actually the child is so dysregulated, they don't they can't even like imagine their surroundings. They have no peripheral vision, nothing. Mm -hmm. And you have to remember that children's emotions- The children. I like when you call them (laughs) the children. children. (laughs) Their emotions, their fears, their feelings, all of that to adults does not make sense. It is completely different as an adult, how we feel about things and how we Mm. process things, as well as even the things you're scared of. So when you have a child who is- going through a hard time and is scared of something. Even Maybe even it's they're scared to go into a group circle of kids yeah, and introduce yeah. themselves. If we just push our child or just say, do it, I just told you to do it. Like, now they're scared on two fronts. And so uh-huh. we have to remember that our adult brain is completely different from their kid brain. And it does not make sense to us. It does not make sense how they're acting because when I'm scared or when my world's chaotic, I don't act like that. Yeah, I do other things. That doesn't mean that it's not appropriate for your kid. And again, going back to the scene, trying to understand all these different layers is key to everything. And I've seen so many times at like Taekwondo or different um, sporting events where a kid you can just tell has had a long fucking day and doesn't want to let go of their parent. The Taekwondo place we went to in Richmond, they would let the kids sit with the parents for as many Mm -hmm. sessions as they needed. Because sometimes a kid just needs to regulate by watching a few times and then they're good to go and they don't even care if the parent's there anymore. But a lot of times we're asking these kids to do things at five o'clock at night when they're tired as hell Mm -hmm. and we can't expect to get the best version of them at five o'clock at night when they maybe haven't had dinner. And I think it's just something that we need to take into accord is like we as a society – stack our children's schedules really heavily sometimes and they're not going to show up their best selves all the time because they just mentally mm-hmm. don't have the stamina. Or it might just not be your kid's thing Cup to tea. do these certain yeah. activities you want your kids yeah. to do. Or For the soothed one, I kind of made this point earlier, but I think it also goes along with it. You don't have to sit there and not have your kids do anything in yes. terms of pushing them. I think healthy pushing your child, and or I guess I should say encourage, encouraging your child is something that needs to be done. You need to acknowledge baby steps. So my daughter right now is at this phase, which is new, where since she turned four, she doesn't talk when we're in public at all <laughs> to anyone. If we're at one-on-one with someone, she might. But yeah. like we went to a birthday party. We went to an egg hunt. We've gone to forest school, and she will not talk. And this last week, (laughs) but then people talk to her and these are people that have talked to her in the past. She doesn't respond. Uh, She doesn't respond. And she's little Rihanna. I love this for her. Yes. I don't know exactly why she's doing it. She said all of a sudden she's shy. And from my knowledge, there's no bad experience that happened. The only thing I can think of is we're starting to do a little more and she's not a fan of kids. So this last week we were at Barefoot University and she was in her element. It was all about worms, which I mentioned. And so she did 
she wanted to go show the leader who has become a friend her worms. And so I walked behind her, but I said, you are going to tap her and show her. Mm -hmm. I am here. And so I pushed her. And then afterwards, I told her what a great job it was she did and how she felt. And then by the end, she started talking. And so I'm hopeful we'll get back to there. But I'm not pushing her in a way that she doesn't feel soothed if she needs it. And anytime she looks back at me, you know, I just kind of give her a head nod. Like I am here when she's a little anxious, I'm going to sit there and just let her know, like my presence is here and I am here. And a lot of this might not be the right answer, but I was an anxious child. And this is what I would have wanted as a child. I would have wanted those little baby steps. And I think if my mom had sat there and doted on me, I would have never gotten anywhere in life. But I think if she also completely pushed me and just like walked out, like here's Taekwondo class, peace out. I would have also never gotten anywhere in life, if that makes sense. Like it was like a, one of those situations you have to find that perfect balance in the that's middle. And that depends all on your doing. kid. Yeah. We're yeah. all just trying to do what we wish our parents would have done for us on to our kids, hopefully. Yes. And right. it is, it's a middle ground. I like, will often, Mikey will be like, I want to go get a blah, blah, blah. Or like we had cupcakes at the neighborhood the other day in the like green space is what they call it. And he was like, I want a cupcake. And I was like, okay, well, you need to go ask Miss whoever it was. Can I have a cupcake? And he was like, will you ask? And I was like, I don't want a cupcake. And he was like, well, will you ask for me? And I was like, well, if you want a cupcake, you know how to ask. You know her. You've met her a lot of times. She's our friend. You can go up and say, please, may I have a cupcake? And if she doesn't hear you or something goes wrong, come get me and I'll be there to help you. But like, try it and come back. Like you, let's training wheels this situation. I'll be behind, like you said, I'll be behind you holding onto your bicycle seat. Yeah. And you know, he's not a super anxious child. So this is something within his realm of capability is a whole other thing. And we also have to remember that kids develop fears because of situations and kids develop fears for no reason. My son went through a phase where he was terrified of the water that came out of the bath faucet. (laughs) He was small. Fair. And so baths were awful. And so he was too big to be put in the sink because he was, one, he was a large baby in general. But he was a little older at this point. I can't remember, maybe six months. And apparently Google says it's a very common fear. It's a lot. It's intense. Who would have thought? But it's like also why now when you've had baths your whole life? And so- Maybe he had a past life experience. (laughs) Yeah, right? And so we had to- say this makes no sense to us, but how do we like foster honor it? it. Exactly. Honor it. And I'm also not going to give in and say, okay, no baths. Like that's yeah. not an option either. We yeah. have to get to the point to where you can bathe. And he takes baths now. So he's I fine. respect <laughs> that because I feel the same way about water slides and I don't have to oh. have a reason. I just don't like it. I don't like it at all. The end splash. That is the no, reason. No, I don't like the idea that you could get stuck in there. Oh, see, I'm the end you know what? How the water like, like pours down it. onto your head. Ugh, As a like kid, that. that freaked me out because I was always scared I wouldn't come back up. And I still, as honestly, adult, like, fair. And my dad, my dad called it clogophobic when I was little <laughs> because I refused to go in water. So I was just like, "What do you think you're going to clog it up?" And I was like, "Basically, yes. Like I am convinced this I will tiny get stuck thing. in one." Yeah. yeah, I know. I weighed like forty-five <laughs> pounds and probably was five feet tall. Right, and. I was like, I just – the idea of getting trapped in a small space I could see is that. too much for me. Like I yeah. will never go on a water slide. I don't like anything about it. Even I the will open jump. ones? Will you do the open ones? No, because you go over like... the side of those. Uh, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I will go on them if it's a super slow one that will allow Mikey right. on. Because if okay. they don't allow Mikey on, it's going slow and I'm not going to like slosh over the side. Right. I don't like the feeling. I think it's probably like an ADHD. I don't like the feeling of the plastic and the water. Oh, and, like, no, it hurts. Your butt can get slow sliced by something and like I just your dad who was much much larger than you probably <laughs> saw this as like hilarious this does not make sense in six three three hundred pounds going down a water maybe I saw him right. get stuck in one one time and don't remember <laughs> he would get stuck in one yep <laughs> okay, okay so now we did plus plus and equals. plus 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 and equals secure so safe seen and soothed equals Secure, which is the attachment style we are all going for. If a child repeatedly feels the first three S's, which are safe, seen, and soothed, they will become secure as a result. Note, 
Secure is not meant in the self-esteem type of way, although that is often an outcome. In this case, secure more so means that the brain's wiring is secure as to what constitutes a safe relationship and how to foster said relationship. The child begins to understand that they can show up for themselves and how to keep themselves safe, and in return, will expect that from friendships and romantic partners. Secure attachment is seen as the quote-unquote foundation for resilience and is associated with positive social interactions in all school-aged years and beyond. One great point about the self-esteem, because you also have to remember that people are wired the way they are wired. Yes, 100%. An anxious child does not equal a non-secure attachment style. At all. Yes. Yes. And I think that's a great thing to mention because I'll share. I took the ACE test that she talked about and I scored a one, which is very low. So to talk about the ACE test, a one is like Jenna had very little issues in her. Zero is the best you can get. But I was still an anxious child and it had absolutely nothing to do with that. I was anxious my whole life. And if anyone had a secure attachment style, it was my brother and I. Like we were very, very, very secure in our attachment with our parents. In your little world, yes. Yes. And we even had, we had my mom and my dad and we had my grandma as well. So we were very Mm -hmm. fortunate that we had three very secure attachments. And Mm -hmm. I think the other point I want to make is that these attachment styles can go further outside of just mom and dad. So it's any kind of caregiver. Someone who is consistently caring for the child. The Mm -hmm. test will also indicate that it is literally, I think it says someone five years older than you can even be considered like your primary. Yeah. And you can have different attachment styles to different parents. I'm sure you did, right? Mm -hmm. Your mom, I don't know what your attachment style to her, but I'm sure your dad was secure. My dad was very secure and very stable throughout my whole entire time. And I think my mom was one of the two middle ones. I can't remember okay. which one I scored higher on, but it was either ambivalent or anxious. And so then or, it's just like a lottery yeah. as to what Janelle's going to be as an adult. I mean, yeah, and I mean, <laughs> I am something special. Right? It is a mix of all the fun stuff. Real quick, I'm going to touch on the teen, and then I'm going to touch on the very final point, which is history is not destiny, which I think mm-hmm. we've talked about a lot here. Which is an example. I have know a few people that like should have grown up to be serial killers and ended up being fantastic. So this article goes on to talk about teens and I will link the article, but we're not in the teen stage, but I do think it is important. So the biggest takeaway was when a teen doesn't keep themselves safe, and I've actually used this with Zach and I fucking love it. You didn't keep yourself safe. Keeping you safe is my number one job. So I am stepping in here. You are going to have less freedom until you can build the skills needed to keep yourself safe. And I am here to help you build those skills. I've said the safe thing to my kids a bunch of times. If you can't keep yourself safe, then I have to do it and I have to step in and I'm sorry. And until you can, you lose privileges. I feel like we're going to use this a lot when they're teenagers. It's such a spicy one, isn't it? And I just like love it. And I'm going to use, I've already been using it. But so I like I how know. that's worded instead of just yes. like, Yes. Oh, you did this, so I'm taking your keys away. Yeah. Like, which? Well, that's what we were doing before. We were saying, right. you're not good on computers, so you don't get them. Ew, that doesn't does tell them anything. Yeah. yeah, what is that? What the fuck does that mean? I'm not good at. Yes. Like, I am good at it. Look at how good I am at Minecraft. Right. No, you're not good at regulating yourself with mm-hmm. screens, and with, same with safety. Like, you're explaining it to them, so you're really covering safe. My job to keep you safe seen. So in this example, I see that you made this choice that wasn't safe. It is my job to keep you safe. And until you can be safe, I have to step in. So mm-hmm. you're explaining it to them and you're soothing their anxiety that this isn't forever also. Right. Right. So you're covering all the bases as for yeah. your welcome teenage parents. <laughs> okay. Throwing in uh, there because I love you. <laughs> because I love you and it's my job. Our final thought is history is not destiny. We as adults can do the work through self-reflection and therapy to right the wrongs of our childhood attachments. Food for thought from this article. So this is things you can ask yourself. And I was asking myself these and I was like, I have a lot of work to do. Did a primary caregiver make me feel safe? Did they both? Did I have to? 
Did one make me feel safe and another make me feel less safe or valuable? Did I feel seen? Was I soothed? Why did I not feel safe? And these were just some of the examples that triggered an emotional response in myself that I will be talking to my therapist about because there was definitely um, inequality in the feelings I got from my two different caregivers. Mm -hmm. And I had really involved grandparents and there were different caregivers that stepped in and filled these. I have two aunts that like stepped in for every fucking thing. And so Mm -hmm. I was getting this places, but it's something that I still need to work on and all adults can still work on through therapy. So if you say like, I just, I was dealt a shitty hand and I have ambivalent attachment and I'll never have a secure relationship. There's therapy and self-reflective work you can do Mm -hmm. to right these wrongs of your past. Mm -hmm. And this is what my therapist and I came to, which was the ACE test, which I sent to Jenna, which I'll link on the page, which everyone should take. It's a great jumping off point. It stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. It's a series of 10 questions. Examples are, did you live with anyone who was a problem drinker, alcoholic, or who used street drugs? Right there, you get a point. You know, And it has a series of 10 questions like, was there abuse in the home? Was there abuse within parents? Was there someone that hit you? Did any of the family members go to prison? They'll, I'll also link the article that talks about a, a different article that talks about a sta- attachment styles, which you will know what yours is after you take the ACE quiz and what you can do for your type. Yes, you can be more than one. So if you fall into a category that isn't secure, there's work you can do. I was primarily secure, but I was also a little avoidant, which I totally identified with when you read the earmarks of an avoidant attachment adult, which were fail to support partners in stressful times was literally something that I had to talk to. Josh was going through like kind of a depressive episode a month back maybe, and I was like, maybe you should um, like move out and go to a treatment center. And she, my therapist was like, do you feel like that is telling him he is safe? He's like, she's like, when you go through a depressive episode, does he tell you you should go? The other ones that I also was failing at were I possess little ability to share intimate thoughts and feelings with my partner is a very common one. And it's also like more of a risk-taking, thrill-seeking adult. So I identified a little – I think I was like 30% avoidant and then the rest was secure, which kind of equates for my childhood. Yeah. As parents, hopefully, we do the best we can. After reading the type of adult that those could lead to – I will say I do know parents who, from what I understand and know from an outsider's view, have a very secure relationship with their children, but then their children still go down the path of drug abuse or some kind of undesired path. And so as parents, we just do the best we can and we try and develop these attachment styles. But if your child is one of those that I'm speaking of, know that it's not you it's not it's something not, you did. No. Um, there so. are just brains that are wired to – I have a brain that is wired to be addictive. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think that any – if I had secure up and down, side to side parenting, that doesn't necessarily – like I just – there there's no direct correlation between the attachment right. style. Like I know people that witnessed egregious abuse between parents as children and turned out to be – loving, mm-hmm. nurturing, caring, kind parents. And right. so ca- there's no causation here, but yeah. it's something to look into in terms of, can I switch a few sentences into how right. I talk to my kid? Like the cost benefit analysis is fucking all on for this mm-hmm. because the cost is you switching to three new sentences where your kid suddenly feels way more heard mm-hmm. or you apologize when you have a blow up fight with your spouse and talk it through it with your mm-hmm. spouse. Yeah. Those are really easy steps to take to make right. a kid feel more secure and they're still going to turn into whatever president or shithead they're going to turn out to be. But if we can help them by giving them like little breadcrumbs, why not? Exactly. And I think the other thing that gets lost sometimes is the word resilient. I know it was mentioned in one of yours, like kids are resilient, kids are resilient. So Mm -hmm. if I fuck up here and there, like I don't have to apologize every time or whatever. I'm not saying you have to be a perfect parent, but we do need to make 
the steps to make sure our children do feel secure and that there's not that guessing game. I think we've all had relationships where there is that guessing game and mm-hmm. know how difficult that is or the relationships. I mean, hopefully most of us don't know them, but have been in those relationships where there is abuse. And I think that knowing the secure attachment style, avoidant, the anxious, the disorganized, all of those will help us say like, okay, I want to lean more towards secure. So where can I make those improvements? Like Janelle was saying, like, I know some parents don't make amends to kids. They're like, oh, it's a kid. I don't need to apologize. I don't have to. I don't apologize. I'm the, the Josh, has, Josh has said, like, this is my house. And yeah. if they want to act like this in my house, they better get a different plan. Right. And I'm like, okay, well, whoa, 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 yeah. whoa, whoa. Like, right. Or we grew up in those – the times where it's like, because I said so. I'm the mom. Yes, I'm the parent. Yes, yes. You're the kid. And that doesn't make the kid feel seen. And so maybe taking one of those three categories that Janelle mentioned that you add together. So maybe even just taking one of those and just saying like, where can I improve? Because we all have room for improvement. Pick one and say, you know what? I'm going to work on soothed and I'm going to start saying, how can I help? What do you need from me right now? Yeah. Do we have any closing points? Nope. Nada. All right. Well, that's all we got for you guys this week. Um, Write in and tell us where we're wrong, where we're right. How Questions. how pretty we look on our podcast. <laughs> Jenna, tell me that's paint on the side of your hand and you didn't get uh-huh. a hand tattoo. Okay, I got no. a hand tattoo for a second. I was like, we're really going all in on tattoos. I now got we have a hand tat. Distracted cleaning the house and saw my fence outside needed fresh paint. So I did that. I, so now I my told house Jenna I've never <laughs> once I've never once been distracted by a fence that needed painting. Don't you yep. worry, little house on the prairie. Uh, but I was like, my baseboards need a good one over this weekend. But that being said, call your therapist and take your meds. 